Hello, and welcome to Bird of the Week. It's a podcast about birds, released on a non-weekly basis. Episode 40, Three Strange Names. So this episode is going to be a little bit different. Rather than telling one cohesive story, cohesive-ish, or exploring one bird or family in particular, today we're just going to take a look at three different birds that have odd names, and I'm going to tell you the story behind them. And look, I'm going to be honest, this is really just a shameless plug for my second podcast, What's Up With That Bird's Name? Available now only on Patreon for the low, low price of $2 a month. My God, it's basically an investment at that price. And on that bouncy little show, I break down a bird's name and explain where it came from, which is exactly what I'm going to be doing here today. I mean, hey, first taste is always free. So, who is our first curiously named bird? Well, that would be the wild turkey. It's a bird that shares its name with a country, or at least it used to, until turkey changed its name. That's the country, not the bird. Now they prefer to be known as turkey Within the country, that has always been its name. The word turkey is just what outsiders have called it, and now the Turks want that to change. In part, it's because they want to disassociate themselves from the large bird that has nothing to do with their country. Not even kidding, they have cited that as one of their reasons for the name change. And I mean, I don't know why anyone would ever want to dissociate themselves from a bird, but let's take a look at this large gobbling chicken and see what we can find out about them and their name. So, the turkey is native to North America. They belong to the order Galliformes. These are the game birds. Chickens, pheasants, quails, and the likes all belong to this family. There are actually two species in the turkey genus, the famous wild turkey, and then the less famous but far more flamboyant oscillated turkey. They're less famous because they live only in certain areas of Mexico and Belize, but they have blue skin and yellow-orange warts that cover their face. So maybe not the prettiest of birds, but they are striking. Trust me, if you ever see an oscillated turkey, you will not soon forget it. The turkey, of course, has been domesticated, and much like their chicken kin, The domesticated variety has been bred to be big and beefy, so we can slice more meat off the bone. But the still wild variant of the bird does exist, and by some measures it is one of the heaviest birds still capable of flight. Much like chickens, turkeys have a pecking order to their flock. Less like chickens though, turkeys tend to view people as belonging to their flocks, and also often view us as being subservient to them. As such, turkeys do have a bit of a reputation for being aggressive, They just really want to put us in our place. Now, there is a lot that could be said about the turkey, and maybe one day I will have to come back and give them a full episode. But for now, we are really interested in where they got that name from. And I know what you're thinking. Is it just a coincidence that they have the same name as the country? Same form and name as the country. Like, these linguistic coincidences happen all the time. But in this case, no. The bird is indeed named for the country, even though they have nothing to do with Turkey. So how did that come about? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm about to tell you. Is this going to have something to do with European colonialists being silly? I mean, of course it is. It's always European colonialists being silly. So let's go back a couple hundred years, 
and the turkey is just wandering around their continent minding their own business. When who should knock at the door but Europe? Now, the thing about Europeans when they came to naming things is that they didn't have a lot of creativity. Rather than coming up with new names for things, if something looked similar to a thing they were already familiar with, they would just name it that and call it a job done. When they looked at this gigantic chicken, it did remind them of a different bird. It reminded them of the guinea fowl. Now, I'm going to be honest. The guinea fowl doesn't really look anything like a turkey. They're a damn sight smaller, they're black with white spots and have a horn on their head. But I suppose they are members of the same family, so they are a kind of foul-looking bird. That's foul, F-O-W-L, like the bird, not foul, F-O-U-L, like the weather in unwashed socks. At any rate, they named the turkey after the guinea fowl. You may have noticed that the guinea fowl isn't called a turkey. They're called guinea fowl. The word guinea, incidentally, comes from Portuguese and was the word used to refer to the peoples who lived in Western Africa and now are in neither North America nor the Middle East. So what's going on here? Well, in the 1500s, Europeans were familiar with the guinea fowl because they were traded into Europe via Turk merchants. That is why back in the early modern period, the guinea fowl was sometimes known as a turkey. And that's why the word got applied to the North American fowl when it was first encountered. So yes, in a very roundabout way, the turkey bird was named after the country. But let's just hold on for one second here, because that does raise a question for me. So in Turkey, Turkey A, what did they call the turkey? Because surely the Turks knew the turkey wasn't from Turkey, Turkey A. So what do they call this bird? Well, they call them Hindi, as do the French. Pullet de Indi, chicken from India. And this is because way back when, the New World was called the West Indies. Still is sometimes, because Columbus wasn't great at geography. So they were the chicken from the Indies. Which, I guess, makes a little bit more sense. But that raises a new question for me. What do the Indians call the turkey? Because it doesn't come from their country either, so they must have it straight, right? Nope, the Indians don't have it straight either. They call the bird Peru or Peru but it doesn't come from Peru either. Seems every country in the world is attributing the bird as coming from somewhere they don't live, which is very odd. But even weirder is their scientific name. Now, we mentioned before turkeys belong to the order Galliformes. They are game birds. Within that order, they belong to the genus Meligris. Now, the name Meligris means guinea fowl, which the wild turkey is not. We have already met the guinea fowl today, which are native to Africa. And this is potentially a hint as to where their name came from, when the turkey was originally thought to be a guinea fowl. So that's their genus name, Meligris. Their species name is Gallopavo. This word is a bit of a mashup. Gallopavo is a portmanteau of gallo, meaning rooster, and pavo, meaning peacock. Two other birds which the turkey is not. So taken all together, the turkey's taxonomic name literally translates to guinea fowl, rooster, peacock, which is great. They're all game birds, but they're all things the turkey isn't. Unless it's one of those cases where people thought the turkey is what you would get if you smooshed a rooster, guinea fowl, and peacock together. I mean, they kind of look like a Frankenstein bird, what with the fleshy face, so that could be it. But what we are fast finding with the turkey is that no matter where you go or where you look, it is either named after a place it doesn't come from or is named after a bird that it isn't. But before we finish our story about the turkey, maybe we should ask the question, 
what do the Native Americans call this bird? I mean, arguably it's probably the question we should have asked first. It's got a couple of different native names, but my favourite is Omakispi Kisai. And yes, I know I mangled the hell out of that word, so sue me. But that tongue twister translates as big bird. And you know what? They ain't wrong. The turkey, it's a pretty big bird. May not be perfect, but at least this one is descriptive. So that's how the turkey got its name. Now, let's stay in the Americas as we meet our second bird, the curiously named Jamaican mango. Just from the name alone, I know you're probably struggling to picture what type of bird this could be, unless you're thinking of a mango tree. Possibly one growing in Jamaica. Although that's less a bird and more a stone fruit. I'll stop with all the teasing. The Jamaican mango is a type of hummingbird. Wild, right? And it does come from Jamaica, so at least that part of the name is accurate. These are a rather dusky-looking hummingbird. Lots of dark feathers that hint at a mysterious past. Not quite as bejeweled or sparkling as some of their relatives, but they do have some striking purple plumes. But of course, the most interesting question we have to answer is, how do they relate to mangoes? Do they eat their fruit, pollinate their flowers, nest in the trees? The answer to all those questions is no, no, and no. They have nothing to do with mangoes whatsoever. Mangoes aren't even native to Jamaica. They come from Southern Asia. To resolve the problem of how a Jamaican bird got named after an Asian fruit, we will have to go to a London coffee house. As is so often the case, colonialism is the answer. But before we delve too deep into this one, let's back up a tick and take a look at their scientific name and... Oh boy, this is a long one. Hmm, okay, okay, I think I've got this one. Anthrico... Anthrocothorax mango. Yeah, that sounds pretty close to being right. So, mango, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but the anthrocothorax is another compound Greek word. It's made of two words, anthrax and thorax. And yes, that is the anthrax you're thinking of. Kinda. Because our hummingbird and the disease, although unrelated, do share the same linguistic Greek root. In this case, in the original Greek, Anthrax means coal, or something that is dark-coloured. The disease anthrax earned its name because of the dark ulcers that form on the skin. Our hummingbird earned its name because it's a dark, dusky bird. Anthrax. Good times. As for thorax, maybe a little less surprising, this one just means chest. Anthracothorax, black-chested. This is the bird's genus name, and there are six other closely related hummingbirds in this genus. Collectively, they're known as the mango hummingbirds. You've got the green mango, the black-throated mango, the green-breasted mango. You get the idea. They're all called mango. Sadly, the genus name doesn't get us any closer as to why they're called mangoes, though. But don't worry, this is a case we can crack. Now, once again at this stage you might be thinking, I bet this is just a crazy coincidence. I'm sure the word mango exists in a different language and means something totally different from what it does in English. Like maybe it's a Creole word or a native South American word and it means something very reasonable. Well, let me just say, did you not just listen to the bit about the turkey? No, this isn't a coincidence. Pay attention. The bird is literally named after fruit it has nothing to do with. To answer this question, we are going to have to go back to the year 1736 and into an establishment known as Don Salterio's Coffee House in London. In this coffee house, we are going to find a chap named Eliza Elbin, an English naturalist and watercolour painter. And it was there, as he partook of the good Don's coffee, while hunched over a table with naught, 
but candlelight to see by, that he performed an examination on the stuffed remains of two birds that had been brought to him from the far-flung exotic corners of the world. One was our mango, the dark, dusky hummingbird. The other was an Indian golden oreo from India, as the name might have suggested. Now, way back in the day, the golden oriole was known by another name. They were called mango birds, because they actually do feed on mangoes. At some point in the course of his note-taking, our old friend Elzra made a mistake. Somehow his notes got switched, and the name mango got labelled to the hummingbird instead of the oriole. And then it just stuck, and nearly 300 years later we still call this bird, and all its close relatives, mangoes even though they have nothing to do with mangoes, a fruit native to literally the opposite side of the world. And that is the story of how the Jamaican mango got its name, yet another gift from a blundering dead white dude. Whoever said colonialism gave us nothing? Now, for our third and final curiously named bird, we are going to Australia to meet the Gouldian finch. Now, Gouldian finches are maybe some of the most beautiful little birds in the world, they have an unusual combination of a purple chest, yellow underside, green wings, and then, depending on how they come out, either a red, black, or yellow head. At one point, it was thought that these different headed birds were all individual species, but it is now known that they are colour variants of the same species. Their colours are particularly vivid and bold as well. As such, they are popular cage birds and are readily bred in captivity. In fact, there would be far more Gouldian finches around the world in aviculture than there would be wild ones in their natural environment, where their populations have been decreasing dramatically. So much so that it is now illegal to take Gouldian finches from the wild. And that's all good and well, but we're here to look at their name. And the first thing we need to acknowledge is that even though they are called a finch and look like a finch, they are not a finch. The word finch, just like another problematic bird name we will meet later, wren, is not used in a consistent way throughout the bird world. Maybe we'll save this discussion for another day when we can dig deeper into what makes a finch a finch and why there are so many fake finches, including Darwin's famous finches, also not finches. But without really getting into the weeds, the reason they're called finches, when they're not, is because they look like finches and... Back in the day, whenever we came across a bird that looked like another bird, we just assumed they were related. And then it was only subsequently later when we had a better understanding of avian evolution that we realised they were not related at all. Anyway, following in the proud tradition of Darwin's finches, the Gordian finch is not a true finch. True finches belong to the family Fringillidae. Gordian finches belong to the family Estrillidae. Definitely saying those words wrong and are sometimes called the estrilled finches, although more commonly they are called waxbills. It is suspected that estrilled comes to us via the German word wellestrilled, which was the German name for the waxbill birds. Now, they're called waxbills because many of the little birds in this family have a distinct red bill that was a similar colour to the wax used for sealing letters way back in the day. It's the same reason why the waxwing birds have their name. It looks like they have a red drop of wax on their wings. Although, having said that, Gouldian finches actually have a creamy, yellowy coloured bill. So anyway, the Gouldian finch is actually a member of the waxbill family and not a true finch. So that takes care of that. But what about Gouldian? That is an odd word. Does it mean anything? No, it does not. 
The word is actually a person's surname, Gould, and the bird was named by one John Gould. It should be noted, though, that Gould actually gave it its scientific name, Emadina Gouldii, in 1844, following his travels in Australia. Now, John Gould is probably the most famous ornithologist of the 19th century. He was to Australian and European birds as John Audubon was to American birds. Born in 1804, he began his professional career as a gardener and then a taxidermist, and it was through the repeated examination of birds that he became a leading expert in their anatomy. He would go on to be the first curator of the Zoological Society Museum in London, where he would be brought bird specimens from all over the world that he would describe and depict in drawing. In 1838, Gould and his wife Elizabeth went on an expedition to Australia, hoping to be the first people to produce a field guide on the continent's birds. His 1840 text, The Birds of Australia, is still considered a classic today. He was highly prolific during his life and produced more than 40 publications on birds, but perhaps the thing that secured his legacy most within the public's imagination were the stunning illustrations that accompanied his work. Still today, Gould's bird illustrations are things of absolute beauty and splendour. But Gould himself was not an artist. Although today it is believed that he provided the initial sketches of the birds, it was his wife Elizabeth who produced the bulk of the artwork up until her early death during childbirth in 1841. I do recommend looking up some of Elizabeth Gould's work. She was an artist of rare talent that went unrecognised until more recent years. But getting back to our main point in this bird, the Gouldian finch is not named after John Gould, he was not quite so vain as to name the bird after himself, it is actually named in honour of his wife, Elizabeth, and sometimes the bird is even known as Lady Gould's finch. And if you know your Latin, you would be able to tell this from the species Latin name Gouldii. Masculine possessives in Latin have the suffix double I, whereas feminine possessives have the suffix I-A-E, which is the suffix we find here. So that is how the Gouldian finch got its name. They are a fake finch named in honour of a renowned 19th century avian artist, Elizabeth Gould. Now, I will be honest. I chose these three birds because I knew they all had interesting backstories when it came to their names. But one theme that does shine through is the shadow of colonialism that shrouds these names. We have a bird from North America, the Caribbean, and Australia, all of them named by Europeans and not really in a particularly helpful way. I didn't choose these birds for that reason, but when a theme presents itself like this, it does bear paying attention to. The fact of the matter is that the vast majority of birds have a similar history when it comes to how they were named. Which shouldn't be surprising, it is a legacy of where power lay during the 200 or so years when a concerted effort to scientifically formalise our understanding of the natural world took place. Am I advocating that we change these birds' names? Well, not necessarily. Although, having said that, I think there are some examples of birds who have problematic names that we really should consider changing, like the Inca dove, for example. A pretty little dove that has nothing to do with the Incan people. It doesn't even live in an area where the Incan Empire once existed. But it got its name thanks to Europeans not really understanding who the people were. So we should probably change that one. I mean, unintended racism is still racism after all. And like the Gouldian finch, there are many birds that bear the name of Europeans, many of whom really had nothing to do with the birds in question. In this case, at least Elizabeth did create a rather beautiful portrait of these finches, not finches. I recommend looking it up. 
But I do think the time for honorific bird names has probably come and gone, and we should look to change a lot of them. In my time doing Bird of the Week, we have featured some 13-odd birds that are named after people. Blackiston's fish owl, Rappel's vulture, Raspelli's taraco, Spix's macaw, Timonix's corsa, Stresman's bristlefront, the king of Saxony bird of paradise, Bonaparte's gull, Abbott's booby, hilarious, Lyle's wren, Lee's storm petrel, Wilson's bird of paradise, and the Australian king parrot. Like, this isn't a small proportion. There are hundreds of birds named after people. I think Elizabeth Gould is one of the great figures from ornithological history, but I do think her name should probably come off the finch. And maybe in the process we could change it to be a wax bill as well. Maybe. I think a nice compromise would be to retain her acknowledgement in the bird's scientific name. I think there is a place for honorifics there. After all, the scientific process of naming and organising organisms into groups and families based on their relations to each other is a very human endeavour, so that's probably the best place to honour the people who contributed to that process. Because history does have its place, and it's nice to find these stories, and for those who are interested, that will remain through those scientific names. But for the majority of people, most of whom have no interest in the history behind the name, having some dead dude, or in this rare case, dudette's name on the bird, isn't really doing all that much. So when it comes to common names, birds are birds. They don't belong to people, so we should maybe get our names off them. And look, I admit this is a vexed issue, and I don't pretend to have a solution, but I think it is important that there is at least an acknowledgement of the situation, because there is a hidden history there that continues to touch our birds. And although a rose by any other name may smell as sweet, what we call things does colour how we think about them. Words have power, much more so than sticks and stones. So, small foray into colonialism at the end aside, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It is just a little taste of the kind of stories we're looking at in the second podcast, What's Up With That Bird's Name? How do you get that second podcast? It is available via Patreon for the low, low price of just $2 a month. All you have to do is swing on over to Patreon forward slash Bird of the Week or one word link in the description to find out more. And if you're feeling especially generous and want to make a bigger contribution, then you too can get a special thank you from me in the show, just like my good friends Jill Chalker, Jody Little, Debbie Hode, and Richard Clark, the Minty Fresh. And as always, if you'd like to receive a bird in your inbox each week, then drop me a line at weekly.bird at outlook.com, and I'll add you to the mailing list where you'll get a new bird lovingly delivered to you for free each and every week. I mean, hey, who doesn't want more birds in their inbox? At any rate, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in again next time when we will be continuing our theme from today as we unpick a tangled knot to find out what is a wren. Spoiler alert, it's kind of whatever you want it to be. But we'll find out more about that next time. Until then, this has been Bird of the Week. Although, having made that argument, if anyone wanted to name a bird after me, you know, I'd be totally down with that. You know, the old mate Nate Crake, maybe. Yeah, that'd be sick.